It's my privilege to be here this morning. Um, I think I know most of you. Um, for those of you who I haven't met yet, I'm Scott Demarest, and I'm one of the elders here. Uh, my wife Sarah and I have been married for 34 years, and it's been great. And uh, we have three kids, two daughters and a son. So um, it's good to be here. What I wanted to do is just uh, thank you for coming this morning. Um, it's always easier to be doing something else than to get up and drive to church, but what is a real joy to the elders at this church is to know that when you are here, you are participating in God's design for the growth of the church. And so uh, when you're in your discussion group and when you're sitting here and when you're uh, visiting beforehand and, and visiting afterwards and fellowship is taking place, um, you are doing what God has instructed the church to do to build one another up. When you're speaking and you're using God's word to guide your thoughts and your, and your words as you interact with one another, and that is such an encouragement. Uh, we see it all the time. I hear it all the time in the conversations uh, beforehand here, uh, even on Sundays when we're just visiting as a body together. But thank you for coming. Thanks for doing this. Um, it's my joy to be here, and um, it's good. Let me, uh, let me pray, and then we will get started. And um, what time do I need to be done by? Anybody know? 10.30. Okay, I've got 60 minutes. Well, let's pray and get started then. Father, what a blessing to be here this morning. What a blessing that we can call you our God, uh, that you are merciful and kind to rescue us from our sin, and then you've given us your word to explain yourself to us. You've given us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, the message that you want us to understand, and, and you've caused us to have your word in our own language so that we can read it ourselves. What a blessing. Lord, I, I praise you for that. Lord, I pray that as we spend our time talking today, that you would be exalted, you would be glorified. I pray that when we leave here, Lord, that when we're all done, uh, you would be pleased and we would be the better for having been here. Lord, I do pray for the discussion groups that take place after the teaching. Lord, I pray that that would be a time of, of good interaction, good discussion, good encouragement. And I pray that the authority of your word would guide us in all that we do today. Lord, I pray for your help. I, I need your help desperately. Lord, I'm a feeble, frail, broken creature, and I pray, Lord, that your grace would, would be what is at work today in, uh, in all that is said and done. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, this morning we're going to be talking about honoring the Lord in your Bible reading. And um, there's a lot of things to say about this, but what I want to share is that this is something that, that we will grow and grow and grow in from the day of conversion until the day you breathe your last is that we will always be growing in our ability to comprehend and interact with the Word. And so what we're going to be sharing here is, is nothing to point to the, the level that you want to get to. What this just says is these are principles to keep in mind as you continue to grow in your Bible reading. So um, I'm going to start with a question, and the question is, have you ever had your own words misconstrued or misrepresented by somebody else? You've said something, and... Uh, Sooner or later, you feel you realize that somebody has repeated what you've said to somebody else, but they haven't done it very well. They haven't actually captured your thoughts and ideas, and you say to yourself, man, that wasn't what I said at all. That wasn't my idea at all. Um, we all know that feeling a little bit, um, and if that's the way we feel when people are dealing with and re relating to our words, we need to think about how carefully we need to, to consider God and his words and, and how we consider his explanation to us of himself. So um, we're going to be talking about principles that we can have to, to help us just interact carefully with God's word so that when we go to apply it to our lives, we're applying to our lives what God has actually told us. Um, but before we do that, we're going to spend a fair amount of time looking at one of the most important things to do in all of your time together with the word, and that is to prepare your heart to actually interact with the word. And we're going to look at four different principles that relate to, to a good heart preparation. And again, we realize that everybody's in a different season of life. Some of us have an empty house. It's very quiet in my house, and uh, it's very easy for me to find a place to sit uh, where I can read my Bible quietly, and uh, there's, there's no interruptions. And I realize that that's not, uh, not the same experience that everybody else has. Um, but again, these are principles that are going to help us aim at the right things and the good things. And you do need to prepare your heart before you read God's Word, and the first thing that you need to do is it's really important that you, you grasp an idea of, you make sure that you've got fresh in front of you uh, God and his nature, and agreeing with God about his nature. 
Scripture is God's revelation. It's God's explanation of himself. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 8 together. And what we need to keep in front of us as we're considering who God is, is that God is a holy God. If there is one characteristic you think about that comes to mind when you think about God himself, uh, the, the one overriding, overarching, massive characteristic is his holiness. And um, this is a, it's good to understand the setting here. We were here not long ago in, on Sunday mornings. Smed was teaching through this. And it's God's throne room in heaven. And there's four living creatures that are gathered around the throne. And these are very highly perceptive, highly intelligent, very cognizant uh, individuals that are not compromised by sin in any way. And let's take a look at what they say. The four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. See that repetition there? Holy, holy, holy. Whenever we see repetition in our Bibles, that tells us that we, we understand that God is making a point. He is emphasizing the point. Um, God is exceedingly holy. And what that means in, for us to understand in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament at the same time is that God is separate from us. He's separate from us in lots and lots of ways. He's separate from us in his purity. He's separate from us in his eternality. He's separate from us in his power and his wisdom. And lots and lots of other things. And, and you could write down a long list of things and that describe us and that describe God, but God demonstrates those things in ways that are very, very different from how we put those things on display. So it's really good to, to set yourself uh, in a good place where you understand, you know, I'm going to be interacting with the words of a God who is just completely different from me in his nature. And that just has to inform my thinking when I sit down and, and read this. So, Lord, I need your help comprehending your words because they're, they're written and they're spoken in a way that's contrary to to who I am. I know I have your Holy Spirit within me, but I'm in this mixed condition and I, I really need your help. So uh, if, if you sit down and you've got your reading plan or you've got your reading schedule or anything else, then you just sit down and, and jump into your reading without preparing your heart. You're going to miss what God has for you. You might read the information. You might remember the information really well, but um, heart preparation and, and comprehending who God is is going to be really, really important. So one, that's one aspect that's important to keep in front of you. And another aspect that's important to keep in front of you is God's glory. And we're going to turn to Psalm 19 to take a look at that. And these are things that you're not going to have the opportunity to do every single time you sit down and read your Bible. But over time, if you keep these things in front of you consistently, um, these things are things that have, have helped me and helped others interact well with God's Word. We know this passage. This is a very familiar passage for all of us. Uh, Psalm 19 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And in the Old Testament, when you think of the word glory, uh, it relates to God's impressiveness and his weightiness and his size and his substance. And uh, you don't mess with that because it's just so large and comprehensive and, and big and weighty. And in the New Testament, when you think of glory, you think of radiance and splendor and sparkling lights and brightness and things like that. And, and the answer there is yes and yes. Um, God is exceedingly weighty. You're going to be dealing with him and Christ himself, who is the, the, um, he is the display of who, who God is. He's the exact representation of God's nature. He is beaming with radiant light that we can't even comprehend in these bodies. Um, and so it's, it's really important for us to remind ourselves that the words we are going to read are words that are explaining God, that kind of a God, a glorious God. And we want to agree with God about his nature before we start reading. So it's really good to talk to God about him. Lord, I'm interacting with you. It's also good to agree with God about his word and the effect that his word has on us. And I, I love this passage. In John 17, Jesus is preaching to are teaching the disciples and he's praying for them and he starts by praying for himself in the beginning of the chapter he prays for himself for four or five verses and then he prays for the disciples and then he prays for the church that is going to come later and uh, towards the end of his time praying for the disciples 
he says, and he, and he knows, he's just told them what is going to be taking place. I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be resurrected from the dead, and then I'm going to ascend, and you're not going to have me anymore. I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. Um, and so they know this, but they don't really know how it's going to go yet. And so he, he knows that they need to be sanctified. And the thing that sanctifies them is the word. And Jesus says, sanctify them, those are the 11 disciples, in the truth, your word is truth. And uh, so it's good for us to remember that when we sit down with God's word in front of us, we are interacting with the, the one thing that God has given to us that sanctifies us. There are plenty of other things that God has given to us that sanctify us. Our interactions with one another, the experience he takes us through, the teaching we sit under, uh, but God's word and principles from God's word is what is at the foundation of all of that for us. So we want to make sure that we're thinking carefully about that. Also, it's good for us to remember, and I, I can't remember whether this is on the outline. I, I didn't check. I should have checked. Do you have another uh, subheading under part two? The first is its sanctifying effect on me. Is there another one there? Okay, just jot down Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Um, this is what the Word does. I, I love talking about the Word's testimony about itself. And the Word will tell you a lot of things about itself, starting in Genesis and ending in Revelation. And one of the things that the Word says about itself in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is that there are four things about the Word that's really helpful. That the Word is living. So you're reading a living document. It's not living in the sense that it's growing and it's becoming larger and people are adding to it. It's living in the sense that it is alive when it is in you. It's active, meaning it is able to bring about change. It's an actor. Um, the Word of God is living and active and it is sharp. It penetrates deep within you. And uh, the Word also judges the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. If we want to measure what kind of day we had, as we think back upon our words, we think back upon our thoughts and everything we're doing, just put them up next to God's word and we get a very accurate picture of what is really happening within us. And sometimes that's really encouraging and sometimes that gives us things to pray about. And so I found that really helpful. And it's just to agree with God about the purpose for his word and some of the things that his word does. There's plenty of other passages that tell you um, what the word does and it's really, really helpful. Um, but Lord God, use your word to show me where I have fondness for myself and fondness for the things of this world and where I have weak affections for you. Use your word to convict me of those things. So as I begin reading, whether I've got my own reading plan or I've got a, a reading plan that's in the back of your Wellspring notebooks or whatever else, whatever you're in the word, Lord, use your word to expose myself. Use your word to do the things that you told me your word is going to do. So we want to agree with God about himself. We want to agree with God about his word. Since we're reading God's word, those are good things. But we are the ones who are reading the word. So it's important for us to agree with God about ourselves as well. And just be talking to the Lord and saying, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm here and I'm getting ready to read my Bible. And I just have to agree with you about who I was, uh, the kind of person that I was, because that gives you the sort of humility and the kind of perspective that you need when you're reading the word. So... Let's go and turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at some descriptions of the kind of people that we all were. These are accurate descriptions, and I'm going to take a drink while you guys are turning, because otherwise I won't make it. I love this passage. Paul is writing to a church, and he says, you were, um, but he knows that he was these very same things himself. Every one of us would raise our hand and say, that was me too. It's good for us to, to remind ourselves of where it was that we were before God saved us. Dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked, and we did this according to the course of the world. What that tells us is there was no distinction between us and the world. When God's looking at us and he sees us doing our thing before he saves us, he sees no distinction between us and everybody else that is unsaved. And we're walking according to the course of the world, so we look like the world, but we were also walking according to the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan, the fallen angel. We're walking under his authority and according to his purposes. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And Paul says then, you can see that he's including himself when you get to verse 3. Among them, so among the world, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh indulging the desires of our flesh and our mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. It's just really, really good when you're reading your Bible 
to remember what God has done in your life and how he's used his word to do that. Because it's in, it's in the gospel that has the power of God unto salvation. So one of the most effective ways to prepare your heart to interact with God's word is just reminding yourself of who you used to be and how God used his word to, to save you. And it's because of God's word that he was able to save you. That, that very powerful word that saved you, that's the thing that you're interacting with as you've got your Bible open and, and you're reading that day. It's also really good to acknowledge your current condition, the condition you're in at the present time. You're not that same person that you used to be, loving your own self-rule, running straight for destruction, being blind to that fact, and loving the whole experience. It's good to acknowledge that that's not the person I am. I'm actually a different person. God, in his kindness, he dispatched his Holy Spirit into us and sent his Holy Spirit to us to do the work of regeneration for us and to make us new creatures. And we've got this Holy Spirit that's in us now, and that's really, really good. And Galatians 5 helps us understand this. So let's turn in our Bibles there to see what's taking place there. Uh, We've got this idea of a tension that's that's going between um, these two entities which are within us. And the one entity that's within us is our flesh. It's the same person that we were, um, that we always have been. We always have within us um, a remnant of the sinful nature that is within us. We have our flesh. Everything that we were before God uh, saved us. But now in addition to having that within us, we also have the Holy Spirit within us. And these two things are at odds with one another. Verse 17 says, The flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So my flesh is the residual sin that still lurks within every Christian. Every one of us can look back in the last several hours and see evidences of the flesh in us for whatever it is. But we've got the spirit in us, the spirit that God gave to us to make us new. So it's really important that we sit there and we understand that we need to fill our mind with the truth of Scripture so that we're equipped to fight that battle well. We've got the the scriptures that God has given to us that we're reading now. We've got the Holy Spirit who works within us to convict us and to counsel us and comfort us. But we still have ourselves, the person that we know so well, we've known all of our lives. And we need the truth of God's word to to engage in this, this tension that exists between our flesh and the Holy Spirit that is within us. So it's really good to be mindful of those things. And it's really good to, to remember that this is not a losing battle for the believer. We can be pretty discouraged over a pattern of sin in our lives. And I, I know that. I, I know that this week. I know that this year. I know that last year. But the encouraging things when you turn to Romans chapter 6 is that you see that we have the ability to walk in newness of life. And that's what distinguishes a believer from an unbeliever, is they actually have the ability to walk in newness of life. Um, I think back to the kind of person that I was before um, God saved me, what we just looked at in Ephesians chapter 2, and what characterized me is I had no ability to walk in a different way. Uh, One of the most defining characteristics of me before I came to Christ was profanity. And uh, all the ugly words, the dirty words, they just poured out of my mouth, and it it didn't bother me. Even though I knew it was wrong, I just had no ability to change that. I could turn it off for a few minutes when it wasn't appropriate, but that's the kind of person I was, and it just came pouring out of me all the time. But I love this passage. Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he's talking about uh, the believer has a new relationship with sin. When you look at Romans chapter 6. In Romans 6, the believer has a new relationship with sin, In Romans 7, the believer has a new relationship with the law. And in Romans 6, verse 4, Paul writes, We have been buried with Christ through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. I have to tell you, sisters, if you are here this morning and you believe in the resurrection, and we would all say, I absolutely believe that. I will stand on that one until I die. Um you're also believing that you have the power to walk in newness of life. It's because of Christ's resurrection from the dead that we can actually turn away from those patterns of sin that were so part of us, and we can walk in newness of life. And this has been one of the most helpful verses in my New Testament for me as I I look to peel off yet another layer of the onion of my sin, and I can think, Lord, your grace is sufficient to me because your son was raised from the dead. And that is why that is so important that we embrace that. So it's really good that we we look at ourselves 
and you know we're reading God's word and we're, we're reading these instructions especially if you're in your New Testament and there's 1100 instructions in your New Testament in your reading plan you're going oh I'm going to be reading a plan where there's you know let's say it's Romans 12 I'm like oh man there's a ton of instructions there for me well you actually have the ability to walk in alignment with those instructions because Christ was raised from the dead so it's really encouraging so you don't read these instructions and go oh I, I I'm just not up to that today that's just too high of a bar of course it is by ourselves but because Christ was raised from the dead um, it's encouraging and lastly we want to look at our purpose for reading God's word and first and foremost your purpose in everything you do my purpose in everything I do needs to be God's glory I want God's glory to be put on display as I've got my Bible open and I'm reading through it there may not be anybody looking going wow look at that and there may not be anything externally obvious and apparent but what is taking place when you read your Bible carefully is that you're, you're bringing glory to God and God I want to do this I want to use the words that you gave me I want to interact with those words in a way that that puts your greatness on display whether I'm reading passages that are going to be really affirming for me in an area where maybe I have a little bit of growth to do but I I'm doing well in that area or whether it's an area that oh man I really need to grow in that area and the Holy Spirit is all over I want to interact in a way that brings glory to God I love this passage in Philippians chapter 1 we can look there in verses 9 through 11 we'll take a look at this and, and see what it is that that God has as the end result for for this this group of dear people in the church in Philippi Paul's writing to them and he wants them to understand the the outflow of, of love that they have for one another they love each other, and they've got that, and that's really great. And he says, here's what you want to be aiming at when you, in your love for one another. I pray this, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. So there is a long list there of things that God wants for us to be the, the outflowing of our love for one another. Um, we have love that abounds in knowledge and discernment. We are able to approve the things that are excellent. We are able to be sincere and blameless. We're able to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Those are really good things that come forth uh, from believers who are living rightly. But look at the end of verse 11. To the glory and praise of God. So there's lots and lots of good things that are happening. It is a really good thing to grow in your discernment, isn't it? You've got an opportunity in front of you. It might be a good one. You're not quite sure. You need discernment. That is a really good thing. It is really good to be sincere. I love the word sincere. It's really, really helpful. Uh, there's two syllables there. The first syllable means without. Sin means without. And the second word, uh, the second half of that word means sere, which means crack, without cracks. And the word picture there is that uh, it was used by men who were involved in the pottery business back in biblical times. And they would make a pot. And it was really nice if you're selling your pot, you can give a guy a pot and say, here's my pot, I need two shekels for that, and they give you the money and, and you're good. Um, sometimes those pots would get damaged in the process of making them, and there were cracks in the pot. And we know that if there's a crack in a a pot that it's not going to hold together very well a clay pot so what the guys would do is they would take wax and they would put it in the cracks and then they would paint over the whole thing and you couldn't really tell because they're painted anyway but there's cracks in there that aren't as strong and so to be sincere means I don't have any cracks in my life um, you're, you're dealing with a person who what you see is what you get um, there, there's nothing underneath in the inside that is this big exposing weakness and those are all really really good things lots of other things here that are really really good but they're, they're nothing if they don't result in the glory and the praise of God. So, Lord, as I'm reading all of these things, and you, you've given me your word because uh, it's in reading the word that I, I grow in, in all of these areas, but I want to do this in a way that brings you glory. My primary objective when I read your Bible is not to grow in my skill and ability with your word, even though that's a really good thing. And, and don't we grow in our ability to read the word as we read the word? We do. Um, I, I can understand the word better, today than I could five years ago because I've been reading it more. It's not anything about me. It's just that the Lord uses my reading of the word to grow my understanding of him. Having a more comprehensive, deeper understanding of a passage every year is really helpful. But that's not my primary understanding. 
my primary understanding is, is not to build a, debtor, a better defense for the doctrines of grace. I need to tell my in-laws who don't, don't embrace the doctrines of grace or something like that. Um, my, my purpose in reading is, is not to refine my eschatology so that I have every last point of what is taking place in Revelation and all the Old Testament prophecy all sorted and I, I know how to think about all that. That's not my primary purpose for reading my Bible. Those are things that are going to come with reading my Bible carefully, but that's not the reason why I do. Why I do is, first and foremost, to bring glory to the Lord. The second reason why I read my Bible is to be pleasing to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. And here, um, when we talk about the beginning of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians, Paul has got this picture in mind. He's, he's drawing this picture of the believer. The end of chapter 4 is, this tent that we're living in is a weak one. It's it's um, it's hard. It's it's failing. You see it at the beginning of chapter 5 as well. Um, we have hardship in this life, and it's really, really hard. It's but it is producing for us uh, an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Um, and he starts talking about, we long for the day in the beginning of chapter 5 when, when this body is, is done with and we have a permanent body in heaven. When this tent is torn down, we'll get a new building in heaven. This is what he says in verse 8 and 9. We are of good courage and we prefer to be absent from the body and, and home with the Lord. And I would say amen to that. Every one of us loves lots of things about the life here. It's great, but it's, it's no comparison at all to eternity. Um, so because of what eternity is and how great it is and, and what a privilege it will be to be with Christ himself, uh, we want to be pleasing in this life to Christ. So verse 9 says, we make it our ambition to be pleasing to him. Now the Lord that's being spoken of there at the end of verse 8 is Jesus himself. Uh, because we know that when we're going to be with him, we want to be pleasing to him here. And that includes reading our word, or reading our Bibles. I share this every time I teach this lesson, and this is something that's really helpful for me to keep in mind because I do this so often, and I've done this since the last time I taught this lesson. I just have to confess that. There's two words that are very helpful for me to remember. Um, one is the word dwell, and the other is the word swell. Um, I want to be careful when I, I read my Bible. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be reading your Bible, and you're going to come across an area where you're actually doing pretty well. Lord, I've been growing. I've noticed some growth in my life in this area, and uh, thank you for that. But we're fallen creatures, and we're in that mixed condition, and uh, we notice this brother or this sister who's in our life who maybe isn't doing as well in that same area, and it's easy to dwell on that person and their sin when I'm reading my Bible, and it's easy to, to um, put the focus on somebody else when I'm reading my Bible. Um, and likewise, it's, it's easy for me when I, I find an area where I'm doing well to put the focus on myself and just try to congratulate myself on how well I'm doing with my humility. Uh, it's easy for us. And so I want to keep those things in front of me. But Lord, you're giving me your word, and you're giving me the same word as you've given everybody else. My brother and my sister in Christ, they're probably reading right now as well. And uh, they're probably praying over these things themselves. And so I need to be mindful that when, when I see something in Scripture, I am using that in my own life. It may be that you, you grow in your understanding of that passage well enough to go to a brother or sister and help them, in that area of their life, but first and foremost, as you're sitting there with your Bible open and you're trying to be pleasing to the Lord, uh, be very, very careful of how you direct your thoughts when you find instructions and other things in, in God's Word. All right, so now we're going to talk about, uh, we've talked about how we prepare ourselves, and, and the idea there is, is you prepare yourself in such a way with your heart so that you're ready to interact with God's Word. What these things do, and many, many other things do, is they prepare your heart to actually deal with God's Word when you start reading it. And these are things that have been helpful to me. If you have other things that are similar to this that are working well for you, perhaps it's singing, perhaps it's some kind of other routine that you go through, wonderful. Keep doing that. Keep doing those things. These are things that, that are very helpful as well. All right. The second thing we want to do, now that our heart is prepared, is we want to make sure that we're using self-control when we're reading God's Word. And this is really, really helpful for us to remember, that when we're reading a passage, the first thing is we need to expect that that passage has one meaning. When you're looking at, at a block of text and you're reading it and maybe you've read it a couple of times, you want to get it right or it, it doesn't seem like it's coming together in your mind, you, you need to remember that God has one thought he's communicating. God is explaining himself. He's explaining instructions. He's giving instructions. He's explaining history. He's explaining prophecy, whatever. Um, he has one meaning in the text. That's the most important thing. And the reason why we want to understand that is that 
that clear communication flows out of God's holy character. We talked about how God is holy. Well, one of the things that comes out of being holy is clear communication. Let's go to Isaiah 45. What's happening in, in Isaiah 45, in that, that general area of Isaiah, is this is, I don't know, 60 or 80 years before the deportation to Babylon, somewhere in that time frame. It's a generation or two before Jeremiah and all the other guys, Ezekiel and them. And what is happening in Israel is there are some prophets who are over there saying, no, actually, we have a better way of communicating. We have the inside track with God, and we want to... Um, we want to tell you what God means. And what Isaiah is saying here is, no, um, I want to tell you that God is speaking clearly and he's speaking through me. And let's take a look at verses 18 and 19 in Isaiah 45 to see this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to jump through, jump over a couple of phrases. But thus says Yahweh, and then towards the end of verse 18, I am Yahweh and there is no one else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land, I, Yahweh, speak righteousness, declaring things that are right. So the context here is, is what I just explained. And God has explained to Israel that he and he alone is God and there's nobody like him. And the one thing that sets God apart from everybody else is his communication, that he speaks righteousness. And we know what righteousness is. Righteousness is what is right. It's perfect. It's without any error. It's without omission. It's without contradiction. God speaks righteousness. And so he doesn't communicate in a way that is vague or unclear or confusing or anything like that. It's clear. So we're holding in our Bibles this thing that is exceedingly clear. It may not be clear to us, but it is clear itself. We don't live in the context of Old Testament Judah we don't live in the context of Judea in the New Testament. We, we weren't seeing Jesus firsthand. We, we have the English Bible. We don't have the original Greek and the original Hebrew and the original Aramaic. Um, but it was perfectly clear and it is perfectly clear today. And the second thing we need to understand about that clear communication is that clear communication is essential for obedience. Um, you cannot obey if you are not, if the instruction itself is not clear. So we're going to go to Deuteronomy 29. We'll look at verse 29 at the end of the chapter. And it's really good for us just to remember what has happened in that context. Uh, we know chapter 28 is this big, giant, long chapter, 67 verses, I think. The first 14 or 15 verses, God says, if you obey me, this is before they actually go into the promised land. God says, if you obey me, I will bless you. I will keep your borders safe. I will give you fruitful wombs. I will give you fruitful fields. I will bless you. If you obey me, if you don't obey me, you're out of here. You're going to be taken away naked. You're going to be a, a matter of scorn and an object of derision to other people. And he goes on and on and on. That's what he said. He, was, he just told them, okay, this is what I've given you. I've given you my law. And so here is what God says. The secret things belong to Yahweh our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, so that we may follow all the words of this law. A lot of times when we see this verse, we, we naturally gravitate to the front end of the verse. What are those secret things of God? I don't know what those are. I need to know those. And there's a way to investigate that, but that's not our point here right now. Our point here is at the back end of the verse. The things revealed belong to us and our sons forever. God is saying, this is what is revealed. What is revealed is what I am telling you. Moses has just written it all down for you, and this is what I am telling you, and it belongs to you. And the reason why I'm giving it to you is so that you can follow them. So God communicated his law to Israel and he expected them to obey him. And this demanded that the meaning was clear. God didn't put in front of them this murky, confusing, vague thing and say, okay, obey me. He put in front of them something that was precisely clear. There was no lack in it. So when you're reading a passage in your Bible, use self-control and remember that that passage has one and only one meaning. Um, when you're trying to understand that meaning, it's very important, point number two, to hold on to the normal meaning, the normal usage of words and language. And to do that, we want to read our Bible with a literal 
in a grammatical and a historical perspective. And literal it means we take the words at their literal meaning as our baseline. We, we take the words with their literal meaning, unless you're in a context where, obviously, um, you need to understand something else. When Jesus says, I am the door, um, Jesus is not a door. So we, we know how to interpret that. But when you can, take the words literally. John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that tells us the Word existed in the beginning. That means that the Word transcends time. You can understand a lot about that just from in the beginning was the Word. You also understand that the Word existed together with God, meaning that the Word was distinct from God in some way. If it was with God, it was distinct from God in some way. And the Word was God. That tells us that the Word has identity with God. So all of those things work together. We understand who Christ is. We understand who He is when we understand these things literally. Using anything other than a literal interpretation of that passage will not take you to a good place in your theology. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. So you have this entity called the word. We know that's Christ himself. This is where we understand that Christ took on flesh. He became flesh, but he was already existent. So when you hear people talk about Christ being the eternally existent second person of the triune Godhead, this is where we get it, because God's Word tells us in plain English, the Word became flesh. It's important for us to re remember our grammar when we're reading, and to use grammar when we're reading. And I'm not an English pro. I'm in my second semester, no, my, my second year of, of seminary, but I'm learning more and more that I know less and less about grammar than I thought I did. And the goal here is not to be an English major. Um, and I thank God for those who are, and they understand it. Um, but the idea here is just to be careful and look for um, the pieces of the sentence and the pieces of the phrases that can help you understand what is happening. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We looked at this uh, the last time I taught this lesson, and it's really helpful for us to remember this. Paul's writing in this passage to the church in Ephesus, and he's helping them understand how the body is supposed to function. And you see... Just prior to this passage, we're going to be looking at 14 through 16. And just prior to this, he says, you know, we shouldn't be blown about. We shouldn't be grabbing everything and running with it, every idea. He says, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, craftiness, deceitful scheming. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. That is Christ. So there's very clear instructions about things. We, we can see that there's instructions here in verses 14 and 15. We are no longer to be children. That's a clear instruction. We are no longer to be tossed about by deceitful scheming. We are to grow up into Christ. We do that by speaking the truth to one another in love. When we get to verse 16, it's very helpful to see um, what God is doing here as he's describing how it is that the body functions together. And he says, and we'll get some run-up to this by reading the end of verse 15 again. He says, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. And so you see the from whom there at the beginning of 16. So from whom is going to be talking about Christ. From Christ, the whole body, so that's the corporate body. And then there's a comma, and there's some phrases that come after that. And then you jump to the end of the sentence. It says, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The subject is at the beginning of that um, verse, the body. And the direct object is at the end, and it's the body. The body causes the growth of the body. And in the middle of that sentence, you can understand how it does that. The body causes the growth of the body by two different things. We see them in verse 16. When we're fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies... That's the kind of thing you're doing today when you're sitting in your discussion groups and you're talking about your answer to number three or whatever. You're, you're fitting together. You're, you're coming together and you're fitting together and, you, and you're, you're supplying to one another. Your understanding of the word, your understanding of how you battle sin, your understanding of how you share the gospel, your understanding of how you persevere in trial, and you're blessing your sister in Christ as you do that. So you're fitted together well. And then the second half of that verse helps you understand 
more about how it is that we are to be causing the growth of the body according to the proper working of each individual part. So we understand that we're part of this body of Christ that has a number of different individual parts to it, just like our bodies do, and they all need to work together properly. And that means that I don't get to make rules about how it is that I'm going to work. I need to work according to God's design for me. And then historically, it's important for us to remember historical aspects of our Bibles when we're reading them. Uh, Sarah and I are reading through a Bible reading plan. We're on a new plan this year, and uh, we're finding ourselves, uh, it started with the Gospel of Mark, and we just finished the Gospel of Mark. And it's really important to understand what we can about the Gospel of Mark, uh, the author, and how the letter was written, when it was written, why it was written, the perspective of it being different. We've got four Gospels, and, and we know that they all have a different point of view and a different emphasis and a different purpose for being written. They all explain Christ, um, but it's important to understand when we're reading our Bibles, what was this letter or this, this piece of this letter or this piece of this book written for? Why do I have that? And what is the purpose? When was it written? What is the, the prevailing issue that's at place here? Um, is there an issue that needs to be addressed? Uh, when I was preaching through Second Corinthians last uh, week ago, Sunday night, you know, you, you're reading Second Corinthians and you think, oh, just another letter. Well, you do a little digging and you find out there were four letters that were written between Paul and the church in Corinth. And he had three different visits to them. So he was all over this church. And he really loved them and cared for them. And so understanding a little bit of the context is, is very, very, very helpful. All right. So those things are important. Thirdly, it's important to observe your passage before you try to understand what it means. Observe your passage before you interpret it. And one thing that's really, really helpful about this is just to make as many observations as you can. Observations actually fuel your interpretation. The more observations you have and you sit there and think about the observations, the more they help you understand what the real meaning of the passage is. Uh, it's really easy to focus on the one phrase or the other phrase or whatever, but make as many observations as you can outside of those phrases that grab your attention. It's really, really helpful. Those will help you understand what's being said. All right. Then we need to understand the difference between interpretation and application. And we started by, in, in point number one, saying there is one intended meaning of any author. Uh, it's important to understand that there are many applications, but there's, there's one intended meaning. The inter there is one interpretation of your passage, but there are many, many applications. So there's 30 people in this room or whatever. We all read one passage. There is one meaning for that passage. But what it means to each of us that how we respond to that truth is going to be different for every one of us because God has given us different circumstances. And the really good analogy that's helpful for this is a relay race. You all know a relay race. You've got your baton and you're running with your baton. And so the, the first member of the relay race, the first leg, is interpretation. You need to understand what it means. And when you get a good interpretation and you come to the end of that process, interpretation hands the baton to application. And then application runs. And so we want to make sure that we've got the interpretation right before we think about applying that to our lives. It's just a good word picture to help you remember what's taking place there. Another principle that's really, really helpful when we're reading our Bibles, especially when there's something heavy on our mind and our heart. We've got something that's just been on our mind for some period of time, and it's, it's causing us some amount of concern, and we're, we're thinking about this, is we need to entrust ourselves to God's wisdom. And we need to stop by just remembering that God's wisdom is above our own wisdom. Um, I found myself this morning, let's see, we started at 9 this morning. At 8 o'clock, uh, we're redoing our front yard. At 8 o'clock, the guy with the, uh, the pavers shows up. And I said, okay, we're going to put him in the backyard. And so he goes into the backyard, and of course it rained lots on Monday and rained lots yesterday and he gets stuck in the backyard in my house and uh, he gets stuck and he's got this forklift and it's in this mud in my house and I have to leave <laughs> I told him um, whatever you need to do do whatever you need to do just shut the gate on your way out and he said well I, I'm not sure if I can get out said, okay but I need to leave so um, <laughs> and I'm here and it's, it's going well praise God I'm going to find out how it went when I get home <laughs> 
this is being recorded. Um, and so it was tempting to say, Lord, why did I have this issue an hour before I'm teaching? Why did I have this? Oh man, wouldn't it have been better if I just got up, I could take a shower, I could shave, I could get ready and get here and I'd be ready and everything's going. And so I had this view of um, a small view of God that he needed to fit within my paradigm and my design structure for this morning. Um, we're reading God's word and we, we need to keep in mind from Isaiah 55 that, that God has thoughts that are higher than ours. And he has ways that are above ours. Um, usually because he's intending to accomplish something that, that we're not aiming at when we're thinking about the most effective way to get pavers into your backyard. Just think about God's wisdom in the design for salvation. We would have never come up with that idea ourselves. Of To save yourself, you need to look away from yourself. You need to recognize what an utter failure you are. And you need to look to this perfect substitute and you need to put your confidence in what that perfect substitute did 2,000 years before you were born. And you need to believe that he did everything that was necessary. And you need to look away from yourself and trust that there is nothing else you need to do to secure your salvation other than recognize that because he was Lord, he was able to satisfy God's wrath against you in three hours on a cross. We would have never come up with something like that. That on the basis of our confidence in him, which God gives us in the first place, that God would give you the righteousness that you need to be acceptable in his sight. We would have never come up with that. But we believe that, and that is right and good. And so if we can trust God with our salvation, we can trust him with any circumstance that is heavy on our mind and our heart when we are um, working through things and we come to a passage in Scripture. We can trust that God is at work here and that his wisdom and his word is right for us. So let's go to Isaiah 66. I love this passage because this is really helpful because it's so easy to read your, your Bibles and go, great, yeah, comma, but I have this issue or I have this situation. Well, my life is really hard, and it is hard. It's really easy to say, well, because of that, um, I'm going to change the rules here when I read my Bible. I'm going to change how I'm required to respond to instructions because I have a circumstance here that that maybe is more challenging, or at least I think it is. I love the way Isaiah starts chapter 66. He, he starts by showing us how impressive God is. Um, and again, when you get a big, a right view of God and his largeness, that helps us see rightly what comes after that. Thus says Yahweh, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. So where you live is where I put my feet. Where then is a house you could build for me, and where is a place that I may rest? My hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares Yahweh. So the, the setting here is God is ruling over everything. God is, is very large. There is not a single thing that we can give to him. There's not a single thing that he needs. And we're, we're down where his feet are. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. And we're not afraid of God's word, but there's a sobriety that we have when we, when we see the authority of God's word. Um, when we read something and we, we line it up with our, our life and we don't want to apply that word to our life. Um, God looks at the person who is humble and says, Lord, this is going to be really hard. But I have the ability to walk in newness of life, so would you help me? Because I'm by myself, I'm going to fall on my face with this. So would you help me take this this passage that I'm reading and apply it to my life and just trust God's wisdom, even if it's hard. And I'm just going to say up front right now that I can acknowledge that in this room there are probably people who've got some really, really difficult challenges that, that I've never been through that are harder than anything I've ever seen. And so, um, But you can trust God's word. When you are when you're contrite of spirit and humble with his word, he looks to you. And one way that he looks to you is to help you understand and help you apply the truth of his word in the circumstances of your life. Which feeds in pretty well to the sixth point. You, you need to trust in the sufficiency of God's word. And this doesn't say you don't read anything else. We have tons of books right there, right outside this door. We have a book of the month every month. We supply 12 books a year that say these are good books. Uh, they're not scripture, but they're good books. Fill your mind with these thoughts. And uh, the, the scriptures are pouring out of these books. There's lots of biblical basis for most of these books. 
And I'm so thankful for Omri Miles and in how he, he would write intros and previews and prefaces for these books when he would list the book of the month in the, in the bulletin. You'd see this little two-line thing that's just really, really helpful. Oh, and now I know what I'm buying. I know what I'm getting into when I buy this book. So praise God for him. Keep praying for him, by the way. They've got three or so Sundays under their belt down in New Orleans, and they could really use our prayer. So let's all commit to pray for them. God's word is sufficient, so we need to trust in it. Second Peter 1.3. This is something that is so important in this world. Um, and this is something that is not embraced wholly in the church. Uh, it's embraced here in this church, but in the church corporately, nationwide or even in this valley, uh, this is not embraced. His divine power has granted to us, what's the next word? Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. I'm sorry, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So God has given us everything relating to life and everything related to godliness. How? Through the true knowledge of him. And how do we know God? We know God specifically by reading his word that he gave to us. So if we need help repenting from sin... We need help reconciling a relationship. We need help growing in our affections for God. Don't look somewhere else first to figure out how to do that. Open your Bible. Close your eyes and pray. And say, Lord, use what I've been reading recently in my, my time alone with you. Use what I've been hearing on Sunday mornings. Use what we're discussing in Wellspring on Wednesday mornings. Use what we're doing in my Bible study, my weekly Bible study small group on Thursday nights to help me understand how to proceed here. I've got something that's really hard. A lot of times it's a relationship. Let's start by using God's word. Don't look somewhere else first. Look elsewhere once you understand the principles that are in view. Look elsewhere to help you apply those principles. Talk to a good friend. Someone who's been around longer than you have. Someone who clearly loves the Lord. Talk to them. But do so after you've opened your Bible. And you've turned some pages and done some reading yourself. Seventh, you want to make sure you're reading the full counsel of Scripture. God gave us the full counsel of Scripture. And it is a gift. Every letter of this entire thing is a gift. You've got, depending on your translation and how many notes you have in it, somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 pages. And some of these Bibles can be some real bricks. But he has given us every letter. And it is a gift. Because he's explaining himself in that. So read all of it. In the course of your lifetime, read all of it often. There's plans that take you through the Bible every year. And there's some plans that in the course of a year, you get to read the Gospels twice and the Psalms twice and whatever else. But make sure that in the course of your, your life, you're reading the full counsel of Scripture so that you understand where to turn when you need help. If you're doubting God or if you're looking at your circumstances going, this looks pretty grim, go to a place in your Bible where you've seen things are pretty grim and God has proven himself to be faithful. Read the beginning of Exodus where God is taking the nation of Israel away from the most powerful nation in the world. Read the full counsel of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3. Important for us to, to go there. So let's turn there. This is important for us. We, we know how the chapter ends. All scripture is inspired by God and it's useful for four things. Verse 17, so that the man of God, the pastor, may be fully capable. Everybody else is capable as well. What we're going to see here is at the beginning of this passage in verses 10 through 17, Paul is describing the process and the circumstances in which he wrote the New Testament or the parts of the New Testament. And so he says in verse 10, you followed my teaching. You also followed my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance, this list of things. You followed my sufferings too. So Timothy is the, the recipient of this letter, right? Paul is writing a personal letter to Timothy. And he's writing to him so that he can know how to conduct a church in Ephesus because he's the pastor at the church in Ephesus. But Paul met Timothy on his second missionary journey, or he met Timothy in Lystra. Uh, when he was in modern-day Turkey. That's where he met Timothy, when he was on his missionary journeys. And um, so Timothy was a first-hand witness of the trials of Paul while Paul was, was on his missionary journeys. 
he was aware of the difficulties and the hardship that, that Paul had. But he was also hearing the teaching that, that Paul would write down and would, would become scripture. So the New Testament wasn't complete at that time. The New Testament is being assembled, and Paul is busy writing these letters. Timothy was right there. He knew about this. And so this is later. This is, Second Timothy comes much later. comes several years after the time when Paul was on his missionary journeys. And Paul says, you were there, and you saw me doing all of these things. You saw the Lord rescue me. Verse 12 talks about how we need to live a godly way. And he says, you continue in the things you have learned, in verse 14, and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. You heard them from me. Paul knew he was writing scripture. He knew that he was writing divine revelation. And so he's telling Timothy, you've got to know these things. And then he, so he's talking about the New Testament there. And then he says in verse uh, 15, and from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. The sacred writings, that's the Old Testament. So Timothy knew the Old Testament. He had a godly mother and a godly grandmother. He had a copy of the Old Testament or had access to it. And he knew the Old Testament. And so Paul writes in verse 16, what we know so well, all scripture is useful. Maybe you have your, your favorite passage, a go-to passage or a go-to book, or you love one book more than another. That's great. That's really good, but make sure that you're reading all of Scripture because God gave it to us. Why? Because of the four things that it does for us. It helps us with teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And so we want to record this by teaching is what is right. It helps you understand what's right. Reproof or rebuke is what's not right. It helps you identify what's not right. So reading your Old Testament helps you understand what's not right. Those pages that stick together, because we don't go there very often. But it's also useful for correction. That's how to get right. Scripture doesn't just point out your sin. It helps you understand how to restore from that sin. And then it helps you with training. That's how to stay right. So what's right, what's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. That's why we read all of Scripture. Those are the important things in our life. It's really, really important for us to understand that. All right, the last part we're going to talk about is, briefly, we're going to talk about genealogies. Uh, especially in your Old Testament, you're reading along and you find genealogies all over the place, don't you? And it's, it's really important for us to remember that when God was writing Scripture, He knew that He had an immediate audience for that. You're here in the Old Testament and... You've got, you've got a prophet who's writing, or you've got Moses who's writing, you've got kings, you've got all these other people, you've got Solomon writing. God knew that there was an immediate audience. He also knew that the word of God endures forever. And so there's going to be a, a perpetual audience that comes along after the immediate audience. We have the same psalms that all the people in David's time had. We have the same proverbs that everybody in Solomon's day had. We have them all. So it's important to understand that God is, is working in a situation. It's important to understand that when we're reading, we're going to see genealogies and God is doing something um, very, very important for the immediate audience, but he's also doing something very important for those who are going to come along later and read. And God knew when he was writing that um, that would have a particular meaning for the original audience. And we need to understand that particular meaning, but we need to understand what the application of that same thing is for us. And so when you see genealogies, um, it's not always important that we know every single name. It's, it's not important that we do that. It, it's definitely inspired. These are things that are from God and they're for us, and they're, they're really, really helpful. But for us who are not in the immediate context, it's important for us to say things like, why is this genealogy here? What is the point of this genealogy? When you're on a reading plan and you get to First Chronicles, uh, you've got eight chapters of names to digest in your reading plan. And if you've got one of those reading plans where you're on three or four different threads and one of them is First Chronicles, you're going to be in all of those names and tribes and everything for about a week. And you know what? It's really helpful as you're reading through that to remember why it was there. And you have you have First and Second Samuel, then you have First and Second Kings, and then you have First and Second Chronicles. Chronicles were written after the return from exile. And it's really important that, that Israel had those chronicles because this is the way that God showed Israel 
Judah in particular, who is the ones who came back from, from exile in Babylon, I am going to be faithful to my promise. I am going to restore this nation. I am going to bring the Messiah. Yes, you guys went to Babylon, but my plan all along was to bring you back. You had to go over there and get yourself sorted and come back here repentant and holy. And so Chronicles was God's proof. The way that letter starts is the proof to those meager group of people, 42,000 that returned, that I am faithful to my promise. When you're reading the the genealogies from Adam to Noah, and you see those in Genesis 5 and following, God is telling you that you can understand things about my my instructions, you can understand things about my explanation of creation that affirm what it was that I just told you. You can understand when from reading your, your the generations of Adam, from Adam to Noah, you can understand exactly how old this earth is by reading your Bible. Adam was such and such an age when his wife conceived and bore him a son, and after that he lived for this many years and then he died. Then his son was this age, and then he bore a son, had a son, and he named him this. So you know that he was the father, not 19 generations later. And then he lived this many years, and then he died and all of this. God's telling you something. He's telling you lots of things there. It's very important when you see these things. See genealogies about Jesus. There's one in Matthew, and there's one in Luke. Matthew's genealogy goes forward, and Luke's goes backwards. And it's really, really helpful to see those and to understand um, what's going on there. Um, God is doing something different in each of those. One of them was written by Matthew, and Matthew has one aim in mind for writing his gospel account, and Luke has another aim in mind for writing his. And Matthew's gospel account is written from the perspective of uh, Joseph. As you read the first few chapters, the emphasis is on Joseph and what he is doing, and the angel comes to to Joseph at night. And Luke's account is, is heavily weighted towards Mary. The angel comes to see Mary and tells her, you will be with child. And he explains to her how it is that she will become with child. And it's important to understand that God is using, you see, two genealogies that are written from the exact opposite perspective. God is accomplishing something different with each one. And yes, there's different names in each one. And we have to allow Scripture and its wisdom to just instruct us during those times. So in the end of those things, God is doing things for you that when you, when you labor through those, you're going to grow in your understanding of what it is that God is doing. So lastly, I just want to encourage you, after you've prepared your heart and you've used tons of self-control while you're reading your Bible, don't simply just close your Bible. Ask yourself what it is that God is, is wanting from you. Two questions, counseling your heart regarding God's word. Um, and the first has to do with your thoughts towards God. How has my reading informed my thoughts about God? God is explaining himself to us in scripture. So how is he helping me grow in my grasp of him? Am I, am I getting more impressed with him? Am I becoming more in awe of him from reading my Bible? And maybe it doesn't come with this wow experience because you've got to get out the door and your kids are late for school. We understand that. We get that. Um, but ask yourself, how is this affecting the way I think about God? And secondly, how is this informing my obedience to God? You're in your New Testament and you're reading. It does not take you very long to get to an instruction. Um, so you're going to be reading instructions a lot. Matthew opens with a genealogy. And there's no instructions in the genealogy. But get past it and do a little exercise someday. Go home and look for where the instance of the first instruction is after the genealogies in Matthew. You don't have to go very far. And then go to the end of your Bible, to the end of Revelation 22, and go backwards until you find the last instruction. And there's 1,100 instructions in between. And so those relate to our obedience. So my heart in all of this is that myself and you guys, when you, when you read God's word, um, that you grow in your amazement, you grow in your affection, you grow in your, your wonder at the God who saved you and who drew you into a relationship with him and stuck you in this church so you could be useful here. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for these ladies. I am so thankful they are here. I'm thankful for the small army of servants across the way taking care of the young kids. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to bring us here. Thank you for giving us your word. 
I'm thankful, Lord, that your word never changes, that your word is living and active and it's sharp and that it judges us and that it helps us as we, we navigate the things that you bring into our lives. So I pray for us. I pray that you would help us to interact with your word well. Lord, both on those days when we've got plenty of time and opportunity and on those days when circumstances create a different situation for us. But I pray for every one of my dear sisters this morning. I pray for myself that we would treasure not only your word, but we would treasure you. As we read your word, that we would grow in our affections for you and our love for you and that it would be evident in our household. It would be evident in our friendships. It would be evident in our other relationships. I pray for these women this week as they go back into the rest of their week uh, for whatever it is that that may entail. Lord, I pray for your grace to them, that they might walk in newness of life, utilizing your word. Lord, I pray those same things for me, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.